It's Friday morning. It's 7 a.m. And you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven on this Friday, September 8th. Another very special look back edition here on the show. Let's begin the morning in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all week long, we have been revisiting some of those segments that we've particularly enjoyed or found fruitful over the past few years here on Roadmap to Heaven. Today is no exception. While I'm away on vacation, we are going to revisit two segments with Father Paul Hazing, rector of Kenrick Lennon Seminary in St. Louis on seminary formation. And then Julie Lassiter once shared with us about late night holy hours. And I want to come back to that one as well. So that's what we have lined up on the show for you today. Before we go to any of that, We always love to go to Mike Roberts for our weather and our saint of the day. Today is the feast of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Our spiritual direction is guided by the Holy Spirit through the living word, and we turn our ears constantly to hear what the Lord is telling us through Scripture. But sometimes we must also listen to what it does not tell us. And nowhere in Scripture will we find evidence that if the young Virgin Mary says no to the angel Gabriel, someone else will Come along and bear the word made flesh. All of us alive now who came before us and who will follow us owe a measure of our salvation to the Virgin Mary and also her parents. St. Joachim and St. Anne never lost hope. They lived in a time when being infertile was ascribed to sinfulness and this surely must have hurt them. But really, they just wanted a baby. And very late in their lives, long after Anne should have been able to conceive They were informed independently by angels that they would indeed have a child. Anne comes from Bethlehem and Jochum, Nazareth. They meet at the city gate of Jerusalem and there they share the news with one another and they embrace in joy. The Holy Spirit will descend into the womb of St. Anne and bring life to Mary, who in that instant becomes the Immaculate Conception. Jochen and Anne had been told by angels that their child was destined for greatness, and indeed, that was true. She would one day say to the angel Gabriel, Be it done unto me according to thy word. And that word would become flesh and save all of mankind, if only we would say yes. O blessed Virgin Mary, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A prayer for the Archbishop. Heavenly Father, in these trying times when the spirit of the age threatens Christian values, give our Bishop holiness of life and wisdom to direct and guide our Archdiocesan family so that we may grow in your love. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. The following is an encore presentation.
Odds are good if you know a seminarian from your diocese, either he is studying at Kenrick Lennon Seminary or he knows another seminarian who is. And we're happy to be on the road today at the seminary visiting with Father Paul Hazing, who is the president rector of the seminary. Not new to the seminary, Father, but new to this role this academic year. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Thank you, Adam, for having me. It's great being here. As the president rector, you're at the top of the food chain here at the seminary, so I think one question all of our listeners would love to know is, Mm. just briefly, who is Father Paul Hazing, and where does he come from? Sure. Well, he comes from Nebraska, which is the big red, go Huskers, we all bleed Husker red there. I grew up in a farm in northeast Nebraska, right along the Missouri River, so far away from Omaha, actually, 167 miles to be exact, and I grew up with two younger brothers, and being archdiocesan priest, I was assigned to uh, Inner City Parish in Omaha for my first assignment, and then the Sand Hills. And I taught in high schools, Catholic high schools during that time, and uh, I was ordained in 02, which was the year of a lot of difficulty for the priesthood. And so I'm familiar with all that happened in terms of scandal-wise and so forth. So in the last 20 years, I've seen a lot of changes, and uh, we're seeing those changes affect how we do formation here. So who am I? I? A farm kid from Nebraska, and I was interested in medicine when I went to college. I thought of being in medical school, but after two years of college, I went to college seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, and then I studied in Rome, and in Rome with Father Teeter, who's here on staff with St. Louis, and a lot of us studied in Rome together. So it's been great being here as priests who once went through seminary together, and we see the differences as we're here. It's amazing how God works in everyone's vocation story, and and we all have one. So thank you for sharing a little bit about yours. Now, you mentioned that seminary preparation has changed over the course Mm -hmm. of the last 20 years. And, you know, being privileged to know so many priests having worked in parishes, you can kind of see the changes throughout the decades as well in priestly formation. What's the state of seminary preparation now in 2022-23 academic year? Sure. I guess the best place to start would be with the four dimensions of formation. And those are human, spiritual, intellectual, and then pastoral. And what we saw after the council was a lot of confusion about how seminary formation should look. And it sort of landed on the priest needs to be a more professional presence to people. Because priests, before the council, you saw a priest really behave like, I'm the dad, and I'm here to be your father and your pastor. But those idiosyncrasies would come out, and some of the standards weren't there. So, for example, my dad experienced a very strong rural pastor who decided before Mass to announce the reason he was late. He was anointing Fred Hazing, my dad's grandfather. He had died in a car accident, and that's how he found out in grade school (laughs) from the priest announcing it to the whole school. And so those are the kind of standards that get lost, those pastoral standards. And so we saw the church start to say, let's give better pastoral training. So the pastoral formation was emphasized in the 70s and 80s, and internships would start. Guys would go into the parish for a year. And then John Paul II came along in 92, and he said, listen, if we're going to get our intellectual formation in order, we need to have as well a human formation. And so what we started to see with seminaries in the 80s and 90s is a greater coherence in the intellectual formation, that we can't have good pastoral practice if we don't have good truth to live by. And so the truth and practice go together. But when John Paul II said that about human formation being the foundation dimension, 
well, that rang some ears, but really didn't move the needle until later. So you think of how things work in the church. It takes time. It takes decades for a, a global response. And what we started to see in the late 90s was a real emphasis on learning how to pray. And the Institute for Priestly Formation out of Omaha saw the, uh, the stunning result of 160 or 170 seminarians every summer for 25 years learning how to pray in a nine-week program. And that has infiltrated all of our seminaries, all of our dioceses. Everyone's heard of this. And so the emphasis on prayer was so important. But if I have pastoral formation, intellectual formation, and spiritual formation, but I don't have a humanity that can receive it, well then, I'm just getting a lot of schooling. And so now today, the new emphasis is on healing a man's humanity so that he can receive formation. There's actually soil there to receive it. So if you think of a person's heart like Jesus does, there are rocky places, there are paths, there are thorny places, and then there's good soil. And that good soil can receive the word and listen and understand and see things that are meant to be seen by a healthy human being. And so we're really emphasizing that the first steps of any seminary formation is learning how to heal. And wow. when that healing happens, all the rest of the dimensions make a lot more sense. Well, I'd like to talk more about that human dimension, but first let's take a very quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Father Paul Hazing here on Roadmap to Heaven. Prayer for Vocations God, our Father, who wills that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of your truth, we beg you to send laborers into your harvest and grant them grace to speak your word with all boldness, so that your word may spread and be glorified, and all nations may know you, the only God, and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of the Americas, and Mary, Mother of the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word, pray for us. We are back, and we're on the road at Kenrick Lennon Seminary here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis, visiting with Father Paul Hazing, who is the new president-rector this academic year. And Father, before the break, you were speaking about the importance of human formation. And I think that is something that sometimes we lose sight of, that the men here in the seminary studying are precisely that. They're human. They're, they're not robots. They're not androids. They're not just scholars, but they have hearts, they have emotions, and they have hurts as well as struggles and mm -hmm. whatnot. And that's not unique to anyone, but it is important to address those things. So how do you address the human heart? Because I can think, you know, academically, there's curriculums you can go through and best pastoral practices, but how does one form the heart in seminary? Mm, that's a great approach to a great question. Forming the heart happens in relationship. And relationships allow us to become someone. If I want to become someone, I become someone through being with those who care for, love, and trust. And with the mutual, mutuality of that trust and love brings our hearts alive in a way that allows us to be more and more human. Notice what happens if I isolate, if I spend a lot of time by myself, not in solitude, which is different, Solitude means being alone with. Isolation is just aloneness. We start to become more and more inhuman. And that inhumanity towards ourselves, that inhumanity towards others, just really takes us down some spirals. 
So the community of the seminary really is to the advantage of the man to form his heart through relationships. And that's going to be the pattern of any healing of our humanity. More and more relationship, less and less isolation. And we see this with people who are ill. When they become ill, they tend to get isolated, and it makes the illness worse, whether it's mental illness or physical illness. That's why it's such a work of mercy to visit the sick, because you bring them into community. That's one of the most moving aspects of Jesus' healings in the Gospels. He gives the person back to the community. They are healed, and they're back in communion. And so this healing through relationship will form the human heart of the man to then say, wow, I received healing through relationship. Let me bring that to people's lives, not only as a priest personally present to them in their sorrow or their hurts, but also create community. And so that's one of the real kind of mantras of priestly formation is that he be a man of communion, especially a diocesan priest, that he has a capacity to bring people together. Going back to the example we used at the start of that question, I would imagine as the president-rector, it's easy to look at some of the wonderful faculty you have here, Dr. Mm -hmm. Ed Hogan, Dr. Larry Mm -hmm. Feingold, Mm -hmm. Monsignor Ramakati in canon law, and say they are experts in their fields and in academics. We can very clearly see they are 100% solid. How do you find formators then Mm. to help with this human dimension? What are you looking for when it comes to that? Mm Well, I think, first of all, there's a great advantage in having that diversity of lay faculty who are raising families, who are living spousal lives, and they can share the gift of that spousal life, the gift of raising a family, because the priest is invited to do that as a chaste spouse and as a father, and so they learn that with these very gifted lay faculty. And to be very frank, especially the women, lay faculty, impart such a gift to the men here of attentiveness to relationship. And our most influential women in our seminary, who probably know the most about all the men, we have 125 men involved in formation, are Joanne Kershon with the College in Pre-Theology and Dr. Suzanne Harbath. And they have decades of experience between them. And these women help the men rise to new strength in relating to people. So one of the men said to me the other day, I tell the men, you're involved in learning how to box here, if you will. So stay in the ring with us. Formation is boxing lessons. And Muhammad Ali of this house is Dr. Suzanne Harvath. And one of the men said, yeah, I was talking to her. And she said, when I hear you talk like that, I hear a whiny little boy. And he said, I don't want to be a little boy anymore. I want to be a man. So this movement into a manful relating with people, a mature, manly relating, really our lay people are very important in that, and women especially. That brings up another important point, because when I think back to my transition from high school to college, and I know not every vocation goes directly from high school into college seminary, Mm -hmm. but many do. Mm -hmm. Looking back at Adam Wright between ages 18 and 24, that was a very awkward time in life. And I'm (laughs) very glad I've grown up. And when I was 26, 27, I got married. We had our first kid Mm -hmm. and grew up very fast at that point. And I've had a good wife to help me in that. How do you help these young men who, in many ways, still are boys, but they're transitioning into being Mm -hmm. strong men. How do you help them with that? Oh, my. So helping them to trust, because that's really the goal of a seminary, to be a culture of trust. Trust that if you reveal yourself, if you talk about your weaknesses, if you reveal your vulnerabilities, not only in the community with each other as peers, but also with those who can help you, you will grow. And the growth happens through that vulnerability. 
but you have to trust first. So trust us. If you reveal what you're struggling with, if you reveal what you have awkwardness about, we'll show you a way. We won't tell you what to do, but we'll show you a way forward. So a lot of the work of a formator is asking the questions that help a man reveal what's going on in his life. And that, for me, is how we change the world, by asking the right questions. And it moves into the awkwardness, it moves into the weaknesses, and there can be instruction there. Because we've been there, right? Adam, you've been there, I've been there. Yeah, I remember my awkward teens and awkward early 20s, but I also had people in my life that didn't abandon me when I had those learning moments. (laughs) People who were really stood by me. We're not going to run away from that. We're not going to run away from your mess. So... Go ahead and reveal it. I think that's it comes back to what you said earlier about this is an isolation. This is community and the importance of community. Mm-hmm. And I know um, one of the gentlemen here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis is very kind to welcome the seminarians periodically out to his farm property where there's time for fellowship, there's time to be out just doing manly activities, but really having that time of fraternity mm-hmm. with one another as they continue to grow up. I think the saying is iron sharpens iron. It does, yeah, absolutely. And when the man can see how he's being sharpened, that moves him to trust more uh, and keep trusting the the self-revelation, keep trusting the way in which we care for one another. That's really not easy to do with men because we tend to want to take care of things ourselves and not ask for help. Well, Father, I want to thank you for your time. Before we wrap up, I do have one last question Mm -hmm. for you. What can our listeners ask our Lord for in prayer Hmm. for the men here. I mean, when we think about the dioceses that our signals reach, I want to say, having looked at the data, there are seminarians from pretty much every diocese our airwaves reach Hmm. here at Kenrick Lennon right now. So how can we pray for our seminarians? Hmm. I think I'll go back to that heart, that formation of the heart happens in love. And we only mature when we know we're loved, when we're secure in love. So I would ask a prayer of intercession that the seminarians would be more and more receptive to love in their life, to be shaped by it, to encounter it, and then themselves to fall in love. All right. And then could I ask you to lead us in a prayer as we close? Let's pray. Oh, God Almighty Father, you're full of mercy and reveal your mercy in fullness in your Son, Jesus. Grant to us who long for priests after your own heart to have priests formed in your love and your pastoral charity Free us now to receive your blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Paul Hazen, we want to thank you for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. We're going to take a break, and then I'll be back with you in studio. Stay tuned. Prayer in a time of waiting. All-powerful and ever-living God, guard our churches, our homes, our schools, our hospitals, our factories, and all the places where we gather. Deliver us from harm and peril. Protect our land and the peoples from enemies within and without. Grant an early peace with victory founded upon justice. Instill in the hearts and minds of men and women everywhere a firm purpose to live forever in peace and goodwill toward all. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. The following is an encore presentation. 
We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Our next guest is someone I've known for quite some time, and I've known her husband for even longer, but he's not with us today because <laughs> he has to work. Julie Lassiter's here. Julie, it's good to have you with us on the show today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So we are in the early morning drive right now, but we're going to rewind the clock a little bit and talk about late night holy hours, which is not something I often think of because I'm like, I've got to get to bed. I've got to get up early <laughs> to get to the radio station. But I do remember a time in life where some of the best holy hours were those holy hours overnight in the wee small hours of the morning. What is it that you love about late night holy hours? I think it's just such a beautiful time to sit and reflect and know that it's a sacrifice. Like it's always a sacrifice of our time to take out of our busyness and to just be still and no one's going to come into church that late at night. Well, most of the time there's a rare chance that you have someone come in late at night, but, uh, Peter and I, my husband, we have shared a holy hour from our parish. We are blessed to have perpetual adoration from Monday through Friday. And um, we have, you know, people overnight, which is great. It's hard to find a substitute when you can't be there. Um, But um, it really is just a time to find peace. You can still hear the road close by. We're at Immaculate Heart of Mary in New Melly. And our large church um, has a chapel in the back. But the beginning church, when we first got there, maybe 75 people in that church. Have you ever been there? I it's, have not. It is tiny. We did not get married in that church. We got married in the new church in, in 2007. Um, but we always joked that that little chapel, it would be da-da-da, and I'd be done. Like, I would be on the, <laughs> down the aisle. Down right? the aisle. Yeah. And, uh, so it, but it's beautiful to just walk in there, the smells of that old church and the, the soft lighting and uh, to just be at peace. You know, there's... I don't know. I, I don't, if, when you go to adoration, do you have like a, an agenda? Do you well, like I, I set like, your meeting with I, Jesus? I, kind of. I use <laughs> I, I use the old acronym ACTS, Adoration, yeah. Contrition, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Supplication. Supplication. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, but now I want to go back to something you just said about sure. you can hear the road. And, and this is an important thing because I crave silence and I crave quiet, but they're two very different things. I live in the city, so it's never silent, mm-hmm. but it is quiet because quiet is really that internal disposition of saying, I'm going to shut off what I'm saying, what I'm thinking, and just let God speak. Whereas silence is that absence of noise. Oh, you know, the cars aren't going to drive by. I have no control over that, but I can choose to be quiet in the presence of the Lord. That's right. And when we try to quiet our minds, I think that's the biggest struggle for anybody. Um, my kids even, they, they want to be busied. They want to have things to do. And so when we take that time to just sit still, it takes, even if it's a holy, a holy hour, it'll take me 30 minutes to quiet my mind, you know, and just keep turning that over visually, mentally, putting it at the foot of the cross right there. And um, just say it out loud. I love that I can sing. I can not necessarily dance, <laughs> but I can sing if I feel called at that moment to just sing out in prayer. No one's judging me. No one's no one's watching or listening. Um, and if you know, if wow, if I want to read the scripture out loud, if I want to practice an upcoming um, talk that I'm giving, like that's, I feel like it's such a sacred time. Um, Peter and I share it at often. Like he'll go one week and I'll go one week, and a lot of times we find ourselves wanting to go there together. Even the new baby comes with us because he wants to spend time with the Lord. You know, he's so peaceful. And um, I have pictures of my kids with us at adoration late at night, and they are very joyful even when they wake up, which is beautiful. I, I imagine that there are times that the alarm clock goes off and it's time to go to the holy hour, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, why did I sign up for this uh, yes. holy hour? But you know, everyone I've talked to about this, they've all said pretty much the same thing, that a lot of the times when that alarm goes off and you say, oh, I do not want to get out of bed right now to go to the holy hour— 
those also end up being the times that at the end of the holy hour, you're saying, I am really glad oh, I yeah. got out of bed. Absolutely. Absolutely. A couple of weeks ago, I, I went and I, oh, it was just a really beautiful prayer time. I, I had thought about it beforehand. I sent a message to a few friends and was like, hey, what can I pray for you for? I'm going to take you to adoration with me tonight. And I had some intentions with me and I felt very purposeful in my time there. And um, I left feeling so joyful. I came home, you know, it's three in the morning and I'm doing some dishes. I'm doing some laundry. I'm trying to be real quiet, you know. Um, but even and then I go back to bed. It was like 3.30 in the morning and get another hour and a half. And I felt great all day. It was wonderful. Just one week later, and that was right after Christmas because they take a little time off at Christmas. Just one week later, I was dragging. I was not spending my time in prayer during the day throughout, you know, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I realized I wasn't going to go. I told myself, no, I'm not going. And I was going to skip it. <laughs> and it was 102. And I'm like, get out of bed. So I got out of bed and I was angry and I go to adoration. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, do you remember how joyful I was? Wait, that was just last week. Oh, my goodness. How much time has passed? And what have I been doing? And I felt like the the angel from um, the angel of peace in Fatima where he, he appears and says, what are you doing? You know, I felt like that was happening to me. What are you doing with your time? And I knew I had been selfish with my time. I was angry about just things being allowing things to overwhelm me instead of reaching out for help and putting that at the foot of the cross. And what I had just done the week before of offering so much for other people and providing that in like a, a way to serve, um, serve the church, serve the people by giving up for their prayers. I was so self-focused and I'm like, man, that really allowed me to reset and it changed my whole week. All right. Before we run out of time here, here's the big question. I, a lot of times I'll be checking out parish bulletins to see what's going on. And I often see this. We're looking for adorers to fill some slots on the schedule. And many times those are overnight. So someone might be listening right now and saying, you know what? I want to rise to the occasion. I want to take the challenge. I want to be a late night adorer. What would you encourage them? Where, where do you start? Because it's going to be an adjustment. Mm -hmm. What's one thing they should keep in mind to make it a good holy hour? To choose a day that they know it's going to be a sacrifice. Like maybe their Thursdays are always really heavy. And so they know Wednesday there would be an easy excuse. But they need to be in prayer before that busy day. So even though you might be dragging a little bit, it's a beautiful way to suffer and sacrifice. Pete just talked about uh, this past week he went and um, he had a big, he's an attorney. So he had a big court thing going up and he was just like, man, I'm so glad I went because he struggled with praying for the opposing party. And because uh, it's a conflicted case. Right. But in the moment he was there, he knew he had that strength and it had come from that prayer time beforehand and just offering up to God. It was beautiful. There you have it. If you've been thinking, maybe I should make that late night holy hour, you should make that you late night it. holy hour. Do Julie it. Laster and I agree on that one. <laughs> Julie, thank you so much for being with us today. We'll have to have you back on the show sometime. In the meantime, we're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. A prayer for greater love of Jesus. O oh, my Jesus, thou knowest well that I love thee, but I do not love thee enough. O oh, grant that I may love thee more. O oh, love that burnest ever and never failest, my God, thou who art charity itself, enkindle in my heart that divine fire which consumes the saints and transforms them into thee. Amen. May the sacred heart of Jesus be loved in every place. 
We are wrapping up our week here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, reflecting on the precious blood of our Lord. And here with one final reflection is Patty Schneier. We've been talking, as we said, about the precious blood of Jesus, just pondering it and hopefully internalizing this, thinking about it, praying about it, speaking about it, and and thinking about how is it effective in my life. As we wrap up the week, I want to go to the story about James and John. And their mother, of who, of course, asked, can my son sit one at your right and one at your left? And, of course, our Lord says, you have no idea what you're asking. But then he said to James and John, are you willing to drink of my chalice? And they said, yes, we are. And I once heard a reflection about that. What does it mean to drink from the same chalice as someone? To drink of the same chalice was a sign of sharing the same destiny. And with Christ, when we drink of his chalice, when we drink the precious blood of Jesus, we are saying yes to sharing in his sufferings, sharing in his death, his resurrection and ascension into heaven. We are basically saying when we say amen to drinking of the chalice of the precious blood of Jesus. We are saying, I want to share in your destiny, Jesus, for all eternity. Isn't that a beautiful way to think about what you are about to do when you drink from the cup from the chalice? So today, the encouragement for all of us is let's renew our yes. Let's renew our commitment to share in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and share that common destiny. Think about that this weekend as you go forward to receive our Lord body, blood, soul and divinity. Perhaps you are one that will be able to receive the precious blood specifically in the chalice and let your amen be, Lord, I want to share in your destiny. Patty, this has truly been a great week here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. And friends, if you'd like to listen to these encouragements again or share them with a friend, don't forget to check out the Daily Dose of Encouragement podcast. Click like, subscribe, and most importantly, share. Prayer to the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the apostles by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in this same spirit to be truly wise, and ever rejoice in his consolation, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, this wraps up not only this Look Back edition of Roadmap to Heaven, but our week revisiting some of these segments we've enjoyed over the past few years. We hope you've enjoyed this opportunity, too. I'll be back with you in studio next week. Let's close out our morning and our week together in prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. Saint Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before signing off today, We want to let you know that Sunday, September 24th, is Priesthood Sunday. Start thinking now. You've got two weeks. How can you thank your priest for saying yes to their vocation? Until next time, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Pray your rosary today.